Hi, and welcome back to the Mission Minded Podcast. I'm Jim Tingler, co-host with Mitch Deans. Hello again, Jim. How you doing today? Good. We just wrapped up a great podcast. We did. So we had Denny Spitters, um, who works with Pioneers, and a guy named Matthew Ellison, who works with an organization called 1615. Yeah, they're... Um, Doing a lot of great things. Some of the great things are some books they've been releasing. Um, one, When Everything is Missions. And to keep it simple, they just went conversations on When Everything is Missions. Now, I haven't read this one, but I've read this one twice. Really good stuff. And they're going to talk about um, some of the challenges that it brings up. Yeah, they um, they definitely have a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and a lot of wisdom on missions and the great commission so you're definitely in for a good podcast with this one yeah and just the the complexity of when everything is missions what what exactly is that mission and so i think it goes back to we run into this at itech when everybody's job is to clean out the refrigerator it's really nobody's job right and that can be a little bit of a challenge yeah so giving it a clear definition, encouraging people to really assess their church, their involvement, what is mission, what is it to be a missionary, and I think you'll find this a very encouraging podcast today. Yeah, it's a good one. Let's do it. Welcome to Mission Minded, the podcast where we explore outside-the-box thinking in carrying out Christ's Great Commission. On this week's episode, we are joined by Denny Spitters and Matthew Ellison, authors of the book, When Everything is Missions. Our sponsor for today's podcast is Dignity Roasters Coffee. Locally roasted and packaged by the distressed to fuel each day. Dignity Roasters was born through a passion to partner with the distressed and the desire of bringing the universally loved beverage of coffee to your hands. To order your own coffee or to learn more about Dignity Roasters, visit their website at DignityRoasters.com. Now here's our host, Jim Tingler and Mitch Deans. Denny and Matthew, thanks for joining us for the podcast today. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's a privilege, privilege. Mitch and I have really been looking forward to the opportunity to, to conversate with you guys. And as a way to get started for the listener, uh, would you each mind introducing yourself and, and talk a little bit about the work that you're involved in? Maybe, Denny, we could start with you. Sure. Um, I'm presently serving in a role as uh, vice president of church partnerships. So um, I, I um, serve a team of people, of facilitators that um, there's 10 total on our team. There's seven facilitators throughout the United States. Um, and I do this with Pioneers, I should mention. And, and Pioneers is a an international disciple making and church planning organization. And we've had our 40 year anniversary and our vision kind of in a couple of words without giving the full mission statement is uh, a relentless pursuit of the unreached. Hmm. Um, We believe that zero unreached peoples is the goal. And um, that is really what our organization is about and what it, what it's, what it's like. Um, and my team, actually, we work with churches all over the United States, and um, we focus on sending churches uh, and working with people who are both candidates and missionaries and in process of going to the field. Um, and that's really kind of the role that um, I have presently. And uh, my background is very much a churchman, uh, a lot of years in church planning in the U.S., and um, as well, in the middle of that, 15 years as a, a full-time businessman. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure people will have questions after the podcast. We'll make sure we'll have uh, contact information at the end. And uh, Matthew, would you mind introducing yourself and talking about a little bit of the work you're involved in? Yes. So I currently serve as president of 1615. And if you're wondering... That is named after the reference in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, which says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And we're missions mobilizers focusing on the local church 
We do that in a variety of ways. Uh, we have a process that we've developed and we take churches through a process of really discovering what it is God has called them to accomplish, helping them to really clarify a biblical global mission. We find that many churches can't state clearly why they exist um, when it comes to global missions. And if you can't state clearly your, your fundamental purpose, it's going to be hard to fulfill it. So really helping them as a leadership team of a church clarify their global mission. And then we help them to develop endemic vision, a vision that really accounts for their unique gifts, talents, and passions as a local body of believers. And then we want to see those gifts, talents, passion, resources deployed for the sake of reaching the unreached and the least reached. And we do that, again, a variety of ways, missions coaching. We do some consulting. We have a variety of resources that I would call catalytic in nature. They get them thinking, books, podcasts, things like that. So I... Our passion is to see local churches grab hold of the mission of God and engage their people in that work. That's awesome. It's Yeah, it's great to have both of you on the, the podcast. Um, I'm sure you guys have a wealth of experience in missions and we're excited to dive into a conversation about missions today. Uh, but one question that I love to ask people that come on the podcast or in fact, just anyone that I meet uh, is what do you do for fun? So when you're not... Uh, busy with ministry and when you have a chance to to kick back and relax or do something that you enjoy what is that what is that that you do for fun well uh i love to work with my hands mm -hmm. so, so um even though that's very much a part of my background it's a great uh counter for me to be able to uh, do remodeling projects around the house help other people um uh, i just refurbished uh uh a green egg grill uh, and smoker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like that uh, for fun. I love to uh, windsurf and I love to fish. Nice. And I'll say, did you have um, any part of the woodworking behind you? Uh, for those uh, who might. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, <laughs> yeah, very high uh, caliber uh, work woodworking. And for those who might be listening, wouldn't be able to see it. So it's well, thank you. Very kind. Yeah. It looks like one of those, maybe the fake backgrounds, uh, because, <laughs> but yeah. that's legit. No, it's the real deal. <laughs> Good stuff. That's cool. And so do you, you grill as well, Denny? Well, I just started getting into smoking and grilling and, and baking and um, that sort of thing uh, on uh, using strictly a, a ceramic egg. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's challenging. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, what what's your meat of choice? What would you go to if you? I, you know, I love to do brisket. Yeah. I, I'm a big brisket fan. Always have been. But um, yeah, I I'm learning a lot of new things with this as well. So it's it's been great. Nice brisket's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Can't go wrong with a brisket. No, especially a good old fashioned Texas brisket. You know, real simple. No fancy stuff, um, and and let the meat do the talking. I I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Matthew? What do you what do you do for fun? Well, before I answer the question, I have to tell you, Denny and I are dear friends. I've spent a lot of time at his house. The man is skilled. <laughs> I mean, it is unreal. I, I I tell my wife I don't want to take any pictures. I don't want you to see this place because I don't want you to have any expectations that I'm capable <laughs> of anything close to this caliber. So um, he's quite the Renaissance man here. So uh, I love to rock climb. Been rock climbing mm -hmm. since I was probably 15 or 16. I don't get out as much as I, I'd like to. It's something I've done with my kids, my boys, my daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife comes out with me now and then. So really love rock climbing, but Denny gave a couple of answers. So I'm going to do the same. I love to smoke meats. Uh, we have that in common. I don't have the green egg. I need to get one. I, I've got this red cylinder made out of, I don't know, some type of metal. Metal's a great conductor, a horrible insulator. So um, the ceramic egg is far superior, but my meat of choice is the Boston butt. And if you're wondering, it's not the rear end, it's the butt end of the shoulder for you uh, butcher folks. And uh, my favorite piece of meat, super forgiving because it's got connective tissue and a lot of fat. You can let that thing go 14, 16 hours and it just disappears and it seasons the meat. I'm pretty good at uh, the pork shoulder, mm. I must admit. Uh, cool. You know, 
I, I want to believe you, Matthew, but I'm going to have to to test that. I, you know, I think you know. There's times where we need to step in with faith, but maybe you need to come and and put that to the test here for the iTech team. <laughs> hey, listen, we talked about a visit to your place when I'm yeah. in Florida. Denny and I will come up. I'll take you up on that. I, I would love to do one. I need about 48 hours though, because I do a molasses brine for 24 hours at least. Oh, wow. Okay. Then I do a dry rub. And then, you know, I need 14, 16 hours to smoke it. So we'll we'll make it happen. Nice. Lord willing, we'll make it happen. We'd love to make it happen. So today we want to talk about um, specifically uh, you recently released. And I love how you guys just on the side mentioned that, you know, you're writing books. I don't, Denny, did you even mention that you're an author? Matthew did. But you guys have worked on at least two books together. Um, The When Everything is Missions and then conversations on when everything is missions. And so one of the big challenges that comes up as you read that uh, book, um, I have not read the, the conversations, but I have read the, the previous. I think I went through it twice, certainly some parts over and over again that stood out. But the big question of are you a missionary and what is the harm in calling everything missions? think is addressed in the book yeah it's uh how that all came about was actually Matthew and I um through a lot of our interaction we've known each other for at least I guess about 12 13 years now uh as we engage more and partnered more in ministry together uh, between our organizations and personally we became more and more convinced that one of the things that we saw was an incredible barrier to people engaging uh, in terms of thinking and understanding cross-cultural mission and uh, missions to unreached peoples and unengaged people specifically was this whole idea of um, calling everybody a mission, uh, a missionary and everything, any ministry of any kind that's done by the church as missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to add to that. I think this is a well-intentioned idea. That's one of the things that we emphasize in the book. We're not trying to browbeat pastors. I think the concept arose out of this desire to see people more deeply engage in their faith. So how, how do we get them out of the building, into the streets, into the highways and the byways? How do we get them to be salt and light? Well, they're not doing that work. They're sequestered. They're, you know, they're, they're in the church. Let's call the missionaries, and that will mobilize them to get out. And I think it was a well-intentioned idea, but it came with unintended consequences that Denny has already mentioned. And that is when you call everyone a missionary and everything missions, what happens is the priority of taking the gospel cross-culturally, and namely to the unreached, gets obscured, if not completely obliterated. So if everyone's a missionary— nobody's a missionary. Or as Stephen Neal said, we quoted in the book, when everything is mission, nothing is mission. So though we think it was a well-intentioned idea, it was not meant to be harmful. Those who suffer from the consequences of this are those who don't have access to the gospel. Hmm. So what what would be the danger in that? Can you go maybe a little bit, a layer into that? What would be the danger in calling everything missions? Well, I think one of the dangers is it it truncates the whole meaning and emphasis of mission and the role itself of missionaries. So um, a lot of people have kind of gotten in our face a little bit about you're just trying to defend an old paradigm. But um, the reality is that if we're not really trying to, to say Uh, We want to defend the name missionary. We want to talk about the role. So the role is different. And I don't think people think that through well, as as Matthew has just mentioned. So I think that one of the things that comes up is this whole idea that um, if we call everybody a missionary, they'll do evangelism. Uh, And I I think after 30 plus years or more, close to probably 50 years of doing this, we see less desire 
from people who are told their missionaries to reach out, not more. And we see less of an emphasis, and I think this is really critical, on what true discipleship is. What is a disciple? So people say, well, if we don't call everybody uh, a missionary, what are we going to call them? They need an identity. Well, how about what Jesus called us? We're his disciples. We're his followers. We're Christians who are followers of Jesus. And um, with that, that title comes a subset of things that I think that we've so lowered the bar to what true discipleship is that we can't even recognize that, it, well, we got to call people missionaries so that they will evangelize. Well, that's normal discipleship. Being a testimony, an ambassador for Christ, a witness for him is true discipleship. So we believe that these things are interlinked and we can't separate even true discipleship from the whole conversation of missions. Yeah. I'm going to hit danger I've already hit on. That is the priority of taking the gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue is lost. It disappears because if everyone's a missionary and everything is missions, why go over there? We're doing missions right here in our own context. So the unreached remain. Look, if you want to keep the unreached unreached, tell everyone they're a missionary. That's the outcome. Um, a second danger is that the level of care that those missionaries need um, is reduced. Um, so look, I, I've heard pastors say this, there's no difference between Michigan or Myanmar. It's just geography. Well, for the people in the church, they're not going to recognize hearing that, that that missionary that we've sent out to Myanmar needs a special measure of spiritual air cover, prayer needs moral support, encouragement that is different than the guy who's sharing the gospel in the marketplace in Michigan, right? And so you read 3 John, and it's this incredible letter. Really, it's a missionary care letter. And uh, John commends Gaius because of the care that he gives to these sent out ones, these missionaries. And he says, they have gone out for the sake of the name been sent out missionary for the sake of the name among the Gentiles. They're taking it cross culturally. Um, and he says, we ought to care for them in a manner worthy of God's name. Well, I believe that when we call everyone a missionary, uh, we, we don't care for missionaries in a manner worthy of God's name. And as Denny already mentioned, it is not a rank. It's a role, but it's a role that needs a special measure of care that is found in scripture care for them in a manner worthy of God's name. That's how we ought to support such. So just two big pieces. I can, there, there's many other dangers, but I believe the priority of taking the gospel cross-culturally, especially to the unreached, gets lost. And then those who do go to work among the least rich and unreached, they don't get the care they need to do their jobs well. Yeah, I, and I would also throw in here one more that I think is very critical to how people think about the mission. And um, that is the whole idea that when you call everybody a missionary, you disconnect them from the bigger picture that God wants to reach all nations. The meta narrative of scripture and the arc of history and scripture that God is a missionary God who is seeking to reach all peoples and have all peoples understand who he is and bring glory to his name and come to him through the person of Jesus Christ. And I think you actually minimize that meta narrative, which is very important for us to have as we ourselves are matured and discipled in the scriptures. Hmm. Yeah, really good thoughts. I think even during this season that we find ourselves in, this COVID season that we initially thought would be kind of a few months process and now it's turned into more than a year and could potentially be be longer up to five who knows how many years um i think there's the danger in churches becoming kind of more inwardly focused uh, obviously we need to be discipled and focus on on the flock um but we also need to be looking out and understanding that there is a a role for us to play 
in reaching the nations. Um, and there's many layers, I guess, to this conversation. But if we could, if we could just dig a little deeper into, I guess, defining missions and missionary uh, in in your book, uh, you you talk about the importance of and the weight of words. Um, so maybe just just briefly talk about the origin and even the root of of the words mission and missionary, and I guess explain for the audience why why defining those words is so important. Denny's already mentioned this, but you're not going to find the word missionary in the Bible. Right. But you are going to find the concept and the idea of missionary in the Bible. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but the concept, the idea is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So we get our word missionary from a Latin word, uh, mito, and it means sent out one. And that word is connected to the Greek word apostolos, Mm -hmm. think apostle. And it means sent out one, as I've already mentioned. And don't think apostle big A, like Paul and the 12, but think apostle small a, sent out one. Mm. And we see this concept throughout the New Testament, and it pertains to those who are called by the Spirit, sent out by the church to engage the nations, the Gentiles. Again, we see it as a role, not a rank. Uh, Ephesians 4, it was he who gave some to be and then apostles, evangelists, teachers, etc. So not everyone, even in that verse, it's not everyone, it's some. Right. And then the work of missions, Denny's already hit on it, is not just winning as many people to Jesus as possible. That's not what missions is. That's not what the Great Commission is. Jesus said, therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, panta ta ethne. Mm-hmm. We're called to make steady headway, steady headway in reaching more people groups, more nations, more tribes, more tongues. Now, granted, we win individuals. We don't win entire nations. But we're called to make steady headway in seeing that there's a witness a worshiping witness, a church in every nation, tribe, and tongue. So that's missions, is the cross-cultural extension of the gospel into other cultures. And missionaries are those that we see in the New Testament who have that calling by the Spirit to be the, the leading edge of that. Uh, Denny talks about something a lot. He, he picked this up from George Murray, Chancellor at Columbia. I think it's really helpful. Evangelism, think about... Um, helping people believe in Jesus missions, helping people know there's a Jesus to believe in catch the difference there. Mm -hmm. Evangelism is the church growing where it's at missions is the church going where it isn't. And both are needed. And we see the apostle Paul, he had the call of missionary. He was the leading edge, but it's interesting. He told Timothy do the work of an evangelist. He said, Timothy, don't go stay. Your job is to grow and strengthen the church where it's been planted. But me, I'm going to places that don't yet have a church. So I don't know, you want to build on that at all? Yeah, uh, Matthew's done a great job of, of kind of unfolding that. Um, I find it uh, rather amusing that people want to call everybody a missionary, but they don't want to call everybody a pastor or everybody is a teacher, or these are roles that Ephesians 4 says very clearly are given by God to, there's five, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So should all believers call themselves pastors? I hope not. Um, You know, this is very confusing and problematic. So that's what we mean by words have meaning. And we're not saying that missions, as Matthew just said, is in the Bible. It's not. But the concept there is very, very clear. And um, when everything is done in Jesus' name, everything is missions, and every disciple of Christ is a missionary, we minimize, again, the calling of the actual role. In fact, the passage says, first apostles, in other words, the sent ones, the leading edge, of the gospel, and that's what the church is built on. So um, I think when we do that with the role of missionary or apostle, at the very least, we void the Romans 10 calling of how can they believe in the one they have not heard of? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they hear unless they are 
sent. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of being sent and being a sent one is at the core of what it means to be to, to have a role and a calling of missionary. And I like what David David Platt says, because the pushback often on this is, well, see, we just have this special kind of uh, rank of people that are super spiritual people that are really missionaries. And David Platt says this well. He says, um, we are all not missionaries, but we are all on mission. Mm, and I think cool. that that's a good differentiation for us yeah. to think through. It yeah. doesn't mean because I'm not called nor appointed uh, to be a missionary, I do not have a role in mission. The roles are vast. Yeah, I, I have to insert something. You're sorry, but I just did a teaching on gospel ambition out of Romans 15. And Paul basically entreats the church in Rome to join him. He says, assist me. And it's interesting. He writes to them. He says, I have finished my mission. I've got no more room for work from, from Jerusalem, Lyricum. What is he saying? I mean, think about that for a moment. Were there still tremendous needs in those regions? Absolutely. Were there probably tens and thousands of unbelievers who needed to be evangelized? Absolutely. But churches had been established that could then do the work of evangelism and ministry in those contexts. And he says, now my mission's done. I'm on my way to Spain. I hope to stop in Jerusalem and you can assist me in my journey. And I think he was asking for them to support him in the same way the church in Philippi supported him with prayer with finances, with encouragement. Mm. Then he talks about these various roles that are needed. And so we see in scripture that the goer is celebrated, but so is the sender and supporter. Every role is essential. So if you're hearing this today and you're thinking, well, I'm off the hook then, I'm not a missionary. No, 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 no. What we're saying is we need different roles to fulfill the mission. Find out your role and fulfill your role. Yeah, and I, you asked for a definition, so I, I, I'm not sure that there's a way to, to kind of chapter and verse proof text this. I, I think that's not helpful necessarily, but I do like, I, I want to give you what David Platt uses as, and, and it's very close to what I've written as well, and Matthew has written. He says, specifically, I would define a missionary as a disciple of Jesus, set apart by the Holy Spirit, and sent out from the church to cross geographic, cultural, and or linguistic barriers as part of a missionary team focused on making disciples and multiplying churches amongst unreached peoples and places. Hmm. I think that's very helpful, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think, yeah, we need to be critical thinkers when it comes to not only words, but critical thinkers as we read the Bible, too. I mean, I was in a position maybe a few years ago when I would have read the Bible and gone, oh, I want to read about missions. I'll go to Acts. I'll go to the, the New Testament. But if we think critically and look through the whole Bible, it's a, it's a missionary book with a missionary God as the main character and missions didn't start in in acts it started all the way back in genesis so yeah just encourage people out there to to really dig into the word and and find the basis for mission not only in the new testament but in the old testament too so yeah yeah good thoughts thanks for bringing that up that that right there is looking at the meta narrative the right. arc of god is a missionary god in scripture you're right he appears already that way in genesis yeah do you feel that the um, the use of that term missions, missionary, calling everybody a missionary is contributing to um, confusion maybe when it comes to the Great Commission? I know Barna did a study recently that found that over half of the church members, churchgoers, had no idea what the Great Commission was. I think 17% could explain it and give references for it. Well, it's really interesting. When we wrote books, Book one, Denny and I based the book, the hypothesis upon our collective, I don't know, 40, 50 years in ministry together, our combined, maybe it's more than that. We're, we're getting older these days, Denny, so it keeps growing. 
But, you know, we had encountered this over and over and over. I mean, it's rare exception that I interact with a church and you get church and missions leaders together and they have a common biblical understanding of the Great Commission. They're confused what mm -hmm. missions is. So Denny had the same experience and we wrote the book out of that collective experience. We sent out the manuscripts to a handful of people that we love and appreciate. And they said, great book, but the problem is wh where's the data? Where's the empirical data that proves your hypothesis? And we were so far down the road, we, we just said, let's just write it and God blessed it. Lo and behold, the Barn Report comes out that validates the hypothesis. In fact, we start off book two, conversations on with everything as missions, talking about the Barna study. Mm. And we said our hypothesis was proven to be true. Yes, calling everyone a missionary. As Denny pointed out, if it was elevating the work of missions, we wouldn't push back on it. But what you have is great confusion about the Great Commission by calling everything missions. Again, back to our first little segment, um, what you lose when you call everything missions is the priority of taking the gospel to the ethnos, the nations. Why go over there to reach those people when there are so many lost people and needs right here? I've heard it hundreds of times. Well, imagine when Paul talked about his ambition in Romans 15. Right. I, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. And by the way, he references Isaiah 52, 15 as the foundation of his calling. He doesn't even talk about the Damascus Road experience. So if you're waiting for a Damascus Road experience to convince you um, to get involved in missions, you don't need to do that. You just need to read the Bible. So mm -hmm. Paul quotes the Bible. My ambition is to take the gospel to the nations. Imagine if people would have said to Paul, Paul, why are you going over there? You know how many lost people are still in this region from Jerusalem to Illyricum? I mean, Corinth could have used him indefinitely, right? Just the church in Corinth alone. Mm. I think he would have said, look, you're there. Do the work at Evangelist. Be a disciple. Be the church. I'm going where there's no church. The church already exists here. So do what you're supposed to do. I'm taking it where um, there's no church. So, yeah, that's my response to that. <laughs> Yeah, well said. I mean, we really, you know, only a few people kind of gave us that feedback. Like one was very discouraging. You don't have any research data to back this up. It's it's all anecdotal. Um, I, I would say that that's only true to a point. Uh, part of wisdom is kind of recognizing, and this is going to sound crude, but when it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it flies like a duck, it's a duck. And I think that the Barna survey showed how biblically illiterate the church had become. When, when people were given five scriptures and one of them was actually the Great Commission and only 37% could identify it, mm. uh, shows a disparaging level of scriptural, um, you know, a, a lack of scriptural knowledge and just a desert of the Bible in our churches. And yeah. I think that that's very, very sad and something that we need to correct. Uh, in fact, I, I'm amazed while we sit in, in kind of what you might call a gospel flood, a, a, even a gospel tsunami, if you will, uh, there are 3 billion people who are unreached and unengaged and have no knowledge that there is a Jesus to believe in. They're living in a gospel Sahara, mm. literally a desert gospel Sahara. And uh, let's be frank, after almost 25 years of being told or more, we are all missionaries, the priorities of God's kingdom purposes have not clearly been translated mm. to actions that benefit those i shouldn't be yelling now i'm getting passionate but who benefit the, of of those who have not yet heard how is this possible well i think our hearts and our minds must be renewed and educated and we must be reawakened by the holy spirit so, yeah i i don't mean to seem harsh and if i am you know i'm sorry the experiment has not worked. 
it, if calling everyone a missionary and everything missions were actually, it was actually accomplishing, you know, the work of the Great Commission, getting the gospel out, we would not push back on this in any way. But it, the, the data bears witness that it's not working. Um, and yeah, again, it makes sense when you ask someone about missions in the church and there's total confusion, if they can't clarify the purpose of the church, if they can't state the purpose of the church, if they have no clue about the meta narrative has been mentioned, of course, they're not going to pursue the hard places and go into the hard areas. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It, I, 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 this kind of gets me moving a little bit more and thinking, uh, and I, I want to be really not harsh as well, like Matthew says, but we just looked at some simple statistics and I know statistics don't motivate anybody, but they ought to get our attention at least. And of the 4.5 million evangelical churches worldwide, there are about um, 640 churches for every unreached people group. Wow. 5,000 evangelical Christians for every unreached people group. And then we say, well, the problem's really money. Really? Well, of the 47 billion spent on foreign missions in 2020, just a year ago, 0.1% went to unreached and unengaged peoples. The church actually spends 99.9% .9 of its money on itself. So we, this is not a resource problem. We have a heart problem and we have an obedience problem and um, we're frankly very, very diverted by all sorts of other issues that though they may be important, are not critical to the last uh, given commands, the five commissioning statements that Jesus gave to us as his followers before he ascended and said, do this before I return. Yeah, that's certainly convicting. Um, what would your encouragement be uh, for those people out there who perhaps were a part of that statistic where they didn't understand the Great Commission, they didn't understand or they misunderstood their role in the Great Commission? What would be your encouragement to that that person who is starting to realize that, hey, there's a there's a bigger purpose for, for the church, there's a bigger purpose even for my for my life and and um, my relationship with God and my serving of Him, what would your encouragement be for them? A couple things that I might surface here. Um, you know, if you are uncertain about what missions is and who is a missionary, let's start there. Mm -hmm. I would say go to the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Denny's word for it. it we, we wrote the book with the idea that we wanted to create some disequilibrium, you know, um, we wanted to create tension in people's hearts and minds because a lot of our missions practices and our missions ideas flow out of cultural trends, assumptions, preferences, prejudices. So we would say, first of all, if you're listening to this and, you know, you're kind of taken back like, well, I'm not a missionary. We would say, go to the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, study the scripture, allow the scripture to speak for itself. Ask God as you read this book, what is your mission? What is the arc of scripture? It's there. And so I think that that's first I would mention that. And I would say if you're starting to move into this mission, you're wondering what your role is, I would say Denny's are hit on a few times. I believe those gifts and callings are best utilized in the context of a body of believers. Amen. So, you know, if you're feeling the tug to be a missionary, I think it's important that, that that affirmation and calling is validated in the context of a local church, ascending church, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then, already mentioned again, there's many roles. And so if you're not a missionary, you have a role to intercede. Mm -hmm. Paul commended the church in Philippi. He says, I know you're praying for me. That's a missionary prayer letter, by the way, if you ever read it. Th think of the book of Philippians as a missionary prayer letter. Paul rejoices when he thinks of the church in Philippi, he prays blessing upon them, joy is filling inside. And he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, that partnership was a missions partnership. 
They prayed for Paul. They gave finances to Paul once and again. They sent Epaphroditus to visit Paul in prison with a gift when he was discouraged and needed resources. Mm. There are so many ways. So I would say, if you're not convinced, allow the Bible to speak for itself. And as the Bible convinces you, look to scripture again and say, what role can I play? What gifts do I have that can be contributed to this great story of God? Mm, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there are some very practical things that can be done. Uh, you know, that was the purpose of our first book. Uh, so I'm not saying, hey, go out buy this book, that book, our book. You know, our new book, uh, I would say open the Word of God and focus specifically even on the words of Jesus Christ himself. He's our Lord, our King, and you could say that our Commander-in-Chief. And he has a mission. And he wants us to accomplish it. And here we are, almost 2,000 years later, plus, and it's still yet to be completed. And it will be completed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, some practical things would be, I would recommend that you go through the book um, uh, by Jeff Lewis called um, The Heart, uh, come on. God's Heart for the Nations. God's Heart, God's heart for Nations. God's Heart Permissions is excellent. I would recommend uh, that you also uh, pick up Gospel Meditations for Missions. Yes. It's a 30-day process of thinking through what missions is, and it's available through church works media. And um, I, I would also recommend that after you do that, you strongly consider taking some time, especially if you're going to be serious about this, consider um the 15 week course of perspectives getting the true look at the biblical narrative of the bible that radically changed my life and my thinking in fact i'll give you one quote from it um and it's from ralph winters who said the bible is not the basis for missions missions is the basis of the bible mm -hmm. Now think about that for a second, because it's totally counterintuitive. The Bible is not the basis for missions. Huh? Missions is the basis of the Bible. It's a missionary love story of God reaching out to save his people and calling all people to himself. So I think that those are some practical things that people can do. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Matthew. If you think that there is a potential calling or a you are being drawn by the Holy Spirit. Don't give up on that. Pursue that. Ask God to speak to you, to show you, and do it within the confines of a local church that will walk with you through that process. That's what we see in Acts chapter 13 with the first ones being sent out. We see that first missionary team going out because Paul... Uh, Saul at that point and Barnabas and we know John Mark and maybe there were others were were set out they were called out as the church met together as leaders prayed and fast the Holy Spirit said hey do this I'm I want you to send these guys out for the purposes that I've called them to they laid hands on them and sent them forward so if you think that is possibly you um, don't believe all the hype of, you know, you're not going to, we're not going to be able to do that anymore. You not in a COVID era that's over. The internet is the answer. Well, the internet may be a tool, but it is not the answer. <laughs> and every local church I believe is called and designed by God to come alongside and send out people to the nations. Even if they can't do that by themselves, they ought to be um, in, they ought to be partnering with other churches to do this. This is something that God wants his church to be engaged in and involved in. And counterintuitive though it might seem, the more churches are doing this, the more passion for the lost they will have in their own backyard. 
it's obvious you guys are very passionate about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the things that stood out to me in the When Everything is Missions book, and you mentioned it, Matthew, in the work that you're doing with 1615, is the term a mission mobilizer. Would you mind describing, Matthew, what, what, a, what is this mission mobilizer and what role can they play in the work you're talking about? Yeah, they sound the trumpet. They offer up the rally cry. And to put it simply, it's a role, I believe it's a prophetic role, and it's calling the people of God to be a part of the mission of God. And I, I used to think of missions mobilization, um, you know, part of this is just cultural, historical, as this recruitment project for God's labor force. And as we've already talked about, it appears to be a waning labor force. So this recruitment project for God's waning labor force, and I don't view it that way anymore. It is a prophetic summons, a prophetic invitation, if you will, to God's people to be a part of the imminent completion of the greatest movement in his. And so with that in mind, you don't need to beg churches. You don't need to cajole churches. You just keep sounding the trumpet. You just keep, you know, talking about the mission. Uh, you don't need to beg people. And I think that's an important thing in terms of posture. But, but I would say, as Denny mentioned, there's some real practical things that mobilizers do, whether they work in an organization and they're mobilizing churches like us, or they're individual mobilizers in a church. And I think a posture of humility and knowing that the mission can't fail gives you that because you you don't have to exercise the will of the flesh. You know, you just know that even though this is difficult work, it's ultimately going to prevail. Mm. Humility, prayer, man, mobilizers need to be people of prayer. And I would say wear your convictions. And even though Denny and I get pretty excited about this, wear your convictions with tears um, with brokenness. I think one of the things mobilizers fail to remember is that they too were on a journey before they got this. It's called the curse of knowledge. You know, you graduate the perspectives course or complete the perspectives course. You back go back in your church and it's like, wow, how, my, my church is indifferent to missions. How come they're not teaching this? And it's like, well, up 15 weeks ago, you didn't get this either. <laughs> you know, a light went off in your head. So be humble and, and, and you know, encourage. So mobilizers are encouragers. They offer the prophetic summons. Denny, you have some ideas here too? Yeah, you know, um, I think the whole idea of this mobilizing role is, um, is kind of an enigma to people. And they like what where is that in the bible what does that look like i do agree with matthew that it is very much a prophetic call uh mobilizing others means that you are encouraging um maybe even training it's more about discipling people to um the process of through and in the process of considering going to the nations and being a part of that um, missionary force, that frontline force that brings the gospel. And so when we think of mobilizing, it's not something that comes easy to us to understand in the church because it has a lot of military overtones and um, it's difficult for people to understand at times um, what that will look like. So if we were to look at World War II, we would see that um, actually of all the people that were mobilized, so to speak, to go in the armed forces, a very small percentage of them, I think it was around 1%, actually died. Only about 3% actually fought on the front lines. But it takes this entire kind of process to prepare. I once talked with a Navy procurement officer who is a believer and said, how many people does it take to keep someone at the tip of the spear? And he said, oh, that's easy. It's about 17 to 19 to one of all of the support logistics and processes that are necessary to keep a frontline soldier where he needs to be uh, doing the assignment he does well and effectively. 
So this idea of mobilizers actually, I think, was led well by John Mott. John R. Mott um, was someone who was very involved in the student volunteer movement. He was one of the heads of it, and he was convinced that God had called him to go and be a missionary. And the more he moved down that path, the more people, a key mentor challenged him. It would be great if you could go, John, but what if you could mobilize and prepare and disciple and send 20, 25, 30 people in your lifetime? How much more could the gospel be multiplied forward amongst the nations? And eventually that's what he did in his long range vision for that was just incredible because it saw this explosive growth of the gospel throughout um, most of the world that was still being discovered from Africa to Asia. So yeah, that's, that's such an important role, but people often misunderstand or don't grasp its importance. Hmm. So you guys, obviously, I mean, we're, we're in discussion here. We just set up a question and you guys run and it's obvious that you are passionate about sharing this and you guys have put together a, a new book. And if you could um, maybe just share a little bit about what was the mindset behind the book? Who's the target audience? And uh, what would you hope somebody would take away from reading this book? So the second book came about by what I might call a divine serendipity. We did not intend, we did, had no plans to write book two per se. Actually, we were talking about subsequent books, but the, the way this one came about was really a, a serendipity. Uh, we were approached by Rick Wood, the editor of Missions Frontiers, which is a publication of Frontier Ventures. It's been around a long, long time. It's a great publication, by the way. And he had read our book, When Everything is Missions. I think he was given our book by James Mason, the uh, president of Perspectives, who, by the way, has a chapter in book two. Rick read the book, and they were talking about doing a review of the book in one of their editions. And Rick said, we're going to step that up. We want to do an entire edition. The entire magazine will be about this theme, When Everything is Missions, because I've been wanting to do it for 10 years. But you guys wrote a book, the first book, When Everything is Missions. And um, so we basically were given editorial license to some degree. We contacted eight or 10 leading missions thinkers and practitioners, and they added their voices to the conversation. And when the issue came out, Denny and I read it and we're like, wow, this is awesome. And Denny goes, this is book two. <laughs> we have book two's already been written. So we at that point brought in a few more authors, maybe six or seven more, I think. I can't remember. There's 15 in the book, so whatever the numbers are. And Denny and I wrote some pieces as well, mostly beginning at the tail. And we thought this is good because it's no longer just our voice. These are missiologists. These are missionaries. These are pastors. These are people with history. I mean, if you were to add up the combined missions experience in that book, it's hundreds of years. It's incredible. Hmm. And these are people who are wise. They're people who have history. They're people who are in touch with the sign of the times. So I think the goal would be that it validates our hypothesis even more, um, more so even, you know, than maybe the Barna study did, because this is a wide variety of people from different areas, and they are sending out the same message. Well-intentioned idea, but folks, it's dangerous. And we have a chapter at the end, we, uh, Danny and I wrote, we ask, is it time for a reformation? <laughs> Do we need to, you know, reform not rethink, um, you know, not recreate, but how do we really get back? You know, one of the things about the Reformation was that it didn't read, um, it didn't rethink the gospel. It rediscovered the gospel. And so we say that the same thing is needed today. We don't need to make a new idea of missions. We need to rediscover the original idea of missions. So that would be, I, I would say, is our aim, is that people would read it, They'd be provoked and they would say, they would ask the question, is our understanding of missions, whether that be an individual, family, church, is it biblical? I would say that's the goal. Denny? Yeah. Um, 
much of the process of this book was was uh, I think harder to do in some ways than actually the first one. But we so wanted to have uh, the voices that are in this uh, express and uh, be able to continue the conversation. There's some good thinkers here. Uh, we had people like J.D. Payne. Um, let me just give you a couple of, of things that people say. J.D. Payne has a statement here that stops me. He's the very first chapter dead in uh, my tracks. And he says, we now live at a time when the church thinks of itself as doing missions, even if the gospel is never shared. Wow. Uh, and then he goes on to kind of look at all the changes that have occurred and are affecting how we think about mission today. Um, then Deconstructing Mission by Ted Esler, uh, whom we talked about a little bit earlier. And he says, he starts out with the first sta statement saying, I like to say, missiology is a dark science. And then he goes on to explain himself how, what Matthew mentioned, the idea of constant deconstruction, of rethinking, the rethinking, the rethinking. Every five to 10 years, Missy Allen, we need to rethink this, rethink that. Now, you know, again, he does a great job saying, yes, we need to be uh, good, constructive, criticism-oriented people and look at our failures and not just our successes. However, the constant rethinking really kind of kills missions. And then we have Ed Stetzer as well in this, who does a marvelous job talking about what is missional really and what is missions and um where do we where do we go as a church he says it bears us responsibility uh to go ahead and really it's important to think about missions it's in uh, it's important for it to be nuanced and not just go do it no matter what um and then David Platt and others. I, I think one of the best chapters is the final one by um, Dick Brogdon, who is an AG missionary, um, sharing uh, about the incredible need that there is uh, with churches uh, to really grasp that the gospel is for all nations. Um, so and at the same time, we tried to make it practical at the back of the book is an epilogue of uh, with an appendix of churches that changed their minds. Mm -hmm. And it's an interview with churches that have actually went through this process of looking at what missions is, defining it more biblically and from a straight uh, biblical perspective and the process they went through. Um, and it's it's well worth it. Yeah, that's great. I actually haven't been through the book, but from what it sounds like, there's a wealth of of wisdom and experience from a variety of different people, uh, missionaries, pastors, as you said. Um, we'll probably put a link in the description for this podcast. So if you're interested, uh, you can go go buy it, purchase that book. And um, yeah, especially for people who are feeling that conviction of, hey, we haven't been doing it the right way. We haven't been understanding the Great Commission as we should. Um, how can I now be involved in in God's purposes and His plans? So, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for sharing. Um, as we, I guess, wrap up this podcast, uh, what's what's next for you, for you guys in your in your roles in your life? In <laughs> the big things on the horizon. On We're working on a new book, Denny and I. We have a meeting right after this to discuss it. Is go. it is it more conversations? on when everything is missions? <laughs> it's actually got some elements that are anchored in the first two books. Um, I won't give great detail at this point, but it, it's really about the crucial role of pastors in mobilizing the church. Um, George Murray, again, I quoted him from Columbia International University. He says, when it comes to missions in the church, pastors either hold the key to the front door or they hold the padlock. And it is essential. We believe that pastors are the reason churches are mobilized. 
conversely, they're the primary reason they're immobilized. And so um, this is pretty new idea. We floated it out there. Words getting out around it. So now we're obligated to write the book because we've already told some stories. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you want to add to that, Denny. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's not really about writing books for us. We stumbled on this. I, I mean, I got to be honest. I'd love it if people bought our books and gave us feedback and engaged in this thinking and process of opening up the Bible and looking at and we're hoping that the books are stimulating for people in that way mm -hmm. and that it is a disequilibrium uh, because um, of my role and the role of my team in working alongside side churches all the time. I have we've kind of stumbled on this, but I'm amazed at the amount of times that it comes up um, in discussion that has nothing to do with the topic of pastors and missions, and it comes up, how do I get my pastor engaged in missions? Yeah. Uh, how, how can I draw him in and invite him in with the right posture and the right place? And so Matthew and I are kind of going through this and wondering even, uh, we're hoping that, uh, well, we're actually even talking with uh, the Barner Research Group, just trying to say, what if we did a study on this to really find out what pastors really think? Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that we're trying to unearth at this time. Uh, we don't want to be a discouragement. If you're, if, you're, um, if you're a pastor today listening to this, or um, you know, you're, you're a church um, attender, you're, you're a part of a local body, and you're discouraged about this, we would, would encourage you to open your Bible and be encouraged. Uh, read the book of Revelation. See Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9. We already see the end of every tribe, tongue, and nation at its throne. Hmm. That's the reason that we're doing this and writing books. We want to motivate the, the North American church to not quit or give up in the role that he has given us along with his entire church around the world to bring the gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Amen. Well, as we wrap up as well, another way people can engage with you guys is through your podcasts. So uh, Matthew, maybe share a little bit about the work in that and then how people can get a hold of you if, if they're interested. Yeah. When, when everything is missions.com, is a website where both books are available. You can buy individual or you can buy a package deal. There's a discount. You can also access our podcasts. Uh, we have a podcast by the same title, When Everything is Missions. We have three seasons up there. And season three is interviews with the authors of book two. And those are rolling out right now. You can also subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. It's on all the platforms and then as far as getting in touch with 1615, if there's interest there and you want to have a conversation, you can go to 1615.org, our website. And there is a variety of resources, um, more information about our ministry and how we serve churches and mission agencies. So, yeah, I think those are the two spots for me. And Denny, tell us about Pioneers. Yeah, uh, pioneers.org. Uh, if you're interested at any level of discovering what mission might look like uh, for you or for your church. Specifically for churches, we have something called uh, the Greenhouse. So if you got, go on pioneers.org, uh, we are about four or five into a series of about 15 workshops that are all done. They're go-to-webinar style, and uh, they're one hour in length. The, the whole idea of where, what are the basics of mission sending and engagement for local churches. Where do we start? What are our steps? Uh, what are the things that we need to think about? Because we believe wholeheartedly that uh, a key in this process is more sending churches and encouraging and strengthening them uh, because they are the real senders. Um, our mission agency is not the sender. We just facilitate the process. So the greenhouse uh, is on um, the site of uh, pioneers.org. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate the time to just 
it's obvious you have a heart for this. You're passionate. And for you to come on and share that today, uh, we appreciate that. Mitch, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up? I think we'll just have to keep an eye out for that that new book. Um, and perhaps we can have you guys back on to share some more insights once that's released. Because, yeah, you guys obviously have a lot of passion, a lot of drive, a lot of heart for, for the Great Commission and seeing the gospel go to the nations, which is exactly what we want on this podcast we want that want that passion so we appreciate yeah. you guys thank you we thank appreciate you, you. thank We're, you for having us as guests yes thank you so much all right guys thank you for joining us on this episode of the mission minded podcast thank you for joining us for this week's episode of mission minded for more information on today's topic and show notes please visit our website itechusa.org Mission-Minded Podcast is produced by iTech. The goal of this podcast is to inspire conversations about Great Commission participation. The views, organizations, and individuals represented, interviewed, and discussed on the podcast do not necessarily represent an official position or formal partnerships with iTech.